welcome to the Learn Perform Mixtape. I'm your host for this podcast, Laura Pasquini. I created this podcast to prepare me and maybe you for the Certified Professional Learning and Performance Exam, the CPLP. These series of podcasts will be my open study notes. Welcome to the learning. Episode five, we're going to talk about delivery options and media for training delivery. Specifically, how will you deliver your training? What are some of the mediums, modes you will select with regards to media or others for training? This section is area of expertise three for the CPLP, training delivery. Section 3.5 really gets into the options and media that you will deliver your training tactics. Learning objectives include defining blended learning, discuss two examples of when classroom learning or online learning are most appropriately used and explain why. We'll define environmental considerations that ensure optimal classroom learning, discuss the benefits of message boards and chat rooms to learn how groups and online communities might gather, state two benefits of online learning, and list two requirements for audio and video plugins. You'll want to state the purpose of an electronic performance support system and discuss when to use or not to use one. Also explain what is meant by self-directed learning and describe two situations in which it is most appropriate. And finally, you want to identify the benefits of using games and simulations to deliver training. This is a fun packed section. I can't wait to get in. So in looking at the different approaches, we're going to talk about blended online and ways to leverage technology or other platforms to deliver your training. So I was reading a few different books and one of them is that Training for Dummies book. That's Elaine Bietz's book. Um, talks a little bit around different ways to offer and choosing learning. And so looking at blended learning and new options, um, it's interesting the practice of several mediums in one curriculum typically refers to a combination of classroom, that's traditional lecture style in a physical space, and self-paced computer training. So it offers the best of both online and face-to-face experiences of a learning environment. This is also called hybrid learning. Some people put in flipped learning, we'll get to that. But essentially blended learning optimizes the resources and the greatest impact for the least investment. So the delivery format for a blended learning solution is to solve a business problem. So specifically the technology you pick will lend to the audience, location, content, and delivery of the training for certain skills and knowledge. So it might also depend on who the subject matter expert is, that's SME, and who has extensive knowledge, skills in a specific subject area or discipline and how they want to deliver the learning. It is important to note that a blended learning approach for training needs to be informed and communicated and often marketed um, this type of training program to explain what it is and to prepare your learners and employees entering in. The second one is online learning. Very comfortable. I teach and have taught online. I study what it means to design online learning options and leveraging that for training and professional development. So for this, defining online learning is leveraged via computers, mobile devices, intranets, the internet, and more. So essentially it's used to apply concepts and learning ideas for training delivery and technologies have been used for this for a long time. So back in the day, one of the technologies was correspondence. So they would do distance delivered uh, ways, but there's also things they've gone through such as CD-ROM, I don't know if those are still around, but they were used, DVDs, and now we might move into streaming services and options for that, right, online. There's learning portals or learning management systems, known as the LMS is short, Uh, email, collaborative tools, smartphones, wearable technologies, electronic job aids, help systems, TV, and more. So you can get an idea that there's so many more ways we can leverage um, technology and to create simulations, network learning, or computer-based, web-based training. So 
this terminology came up in previous episodes, and it's interesting to hear how it's evolved over the time. The next episode, 3.6, will get into learning technology specifically, and obviously an area of expertise too. Instructional design will definitely touch on more of those technologies for teaching and learning. So online learning is useful to reach a large number of employees that need to be trained who might be dispersed around the country, around the globe. So it's most efficient and effective, cost-effective especially, if you have learners that are all over and they often want to use it as a prerequisite or maybe even a pretest before coming to a classroom training. So the flipped learning, sharing them something before, testing them, or sharing information where they bring it in-depth for an in-classroom experience. Advantages of online learning are addressing it at the individual level, so people can get to it anywhere, anytime. They can customize it to their own learning preference. Usually it can be done on the job so they don't have to leave. There's no time away from work. It does not require physical space. And learners can connect in different locations they are and be quickly updated. Some disadvantages, some people might feel like it's a little impersonal. Um, I don't know if that's always true, but when this book was written for the CPLP exam, it sounds like learning online may have looked a little different because it has shifted over the last five years or so. Requirements in excellent instructional design, it requires the learners are engaged and you have to think about um, putting in the time. So it is an expense upfront. So initially it could be some of that learning design, planning for the subject matter experts to put in materials and some different ways that you learn online might require you consider bandwidth, access, and other things like software, hardware, and other in- issues that might come up just for training. Uh, positive, though, I do think that a module might serve many learners, regardless of their location. And obviously, there are savings for employers that want to be more cost-effective and targeted for their learning. So is online learning the answer? Well, maybe. It really depends on thinking about this before you want to deliver this training method. So. What is the performance deficiency or the learning opportunity that you want this program, this training program to address? So is training the most appropriate solution? Because maybe it's not. Would a performance support tool work just as well? Or is it a way to deliver information that you want to share? Is there a target audience ready? Are they in one place or widely dispersed? How many people need to be trained? How quickly? And are there adequate resources like budget or the technology, what's available? Is there IT support? So these are some questions to think about in terms of thinking about your internal stakeholders, suppliers, and standards that you want to think about for working with anyone who's supplying training for you. Asynchronously and synchronously are two ways you can learn. So learning and training where the trainer and learner do not participate simultaneously. So an asynchronous example could be a simple discussion board, bulletin board, electronic post, email, or listserv. They can read, review, and respond in their own time. You don't have to be there to be live. Synchronous, it's there. Uh, We have lots more of those options. We have web-based conferences. We have chat, live chat back and forth on instant message. So you can send a little text messages. Or we have uh, ways that people can drop into office hours online. Classroom training is the other example. And the classroom is a learning space, like a traditional classroom you may have gone to, uh, where you sit down, you attend a session, there's an instructor, a trainer, a facilitator um, leading that, and you're usually there with a group of others learning. So the advantages for face-to-face or classroom is the interaction potentially with that trainer, 
uh, learning with a group in context and learning in a group setting might help to get certain skills. So you might choose learning face-to-face in a classroom for maybe communication or interpersonal skills practice. Maybe it's more comfortable for learners who have a preference or just an awareness of that experience before. So there's no need to onboard them to an online learning setting. Trainers and instructors can assess participants' reactions, body language, cues, get response, and then facilitate participation and discussion. So it's a real-time interaction. Some disadvantages, you have to have it scheduled at a specific time, location, and you might be limited by physical resources or maybe even setup. Classroom trainings will always be set to a physical location, a classroom setting, and it requires physical space and maybe different resources that electronic media to present. So... This is not always good if you want participants to be in the same location they can't or they have to leave work um, or they might associate that training and performance approach separately from their workplace because it's outside the norms of where they actually physically work day to day. In reading this ATD learning system, the CPLP guide, I was kind of frustrated because I always think about why analog versus digital can't just get along for learning. I wrote a blog post about this earlier this year. And I really want to know, like, what if we thought about learning and training and development for professionals in ways that we could create knowledge and think about ways to move beyond the typical traditional have to meet in person at a conference or a workshop or an institute when we have so many more ways that we could train. I think this guide was originally written a few years back. And even if it was five to eight years ago, technology has advanced so much to make some of these personal, impersonal activities real and interactive in an online setting. So I gave some examples of ways that I kind of engage with asynchronous and synchronous technologies, but I think it's a complement of both. And that blended learning approach could access both that uh, face-to-face experience and face-to-face could be online. It doesn't just have to be in person. So I always ask the questions of, um, are there ways to share knowledge and learning? Can we model some of this? Can we archive some for later? And can we manage just the learning objects for later so people could have like a job aid at the office or refer back to it if they want to pick up some advice? So I left a link in the episode notes for you to check out. The next section talks a bit about selecting facilities and preparing the environment. And so this is if you're going to have a physical classroom lecture in-person experience. Hey, you could also think about this online because I don't think we rarely think about this enough for our webcast or digital courses and things like that. For the in-person experience, there's things they want you to consider like the screen size and where your participants will sit, how the seating arrangement will be looked like. If you need other things in the facilities like Wi-Fi, connectivity, speakers for sound, or other outlets uh, that if people are bringing their own devices to training, where can they plug in and charge up? Other environmental factors, you want to reduce distractions, think about removing obstacles so there's no random pillar in the way of a viewing of someone that's speaking. And you also want to think about the materials and equipment. So getting there early to set up and move any furniture, technology, equipment before the train starts. I left a guide to Elaine Beach's room arrangements for training sessions. She gets into a little bit around the training size, accessibility, convenience, locations, removing any obstructions, and thinking about sitting, lighting, workable walls, and things like that. Other things to consider, obviously climate control, uh, what's the temperature going to be like there in the room, the microphone, 
And she gives some examples of uh, specifically how you can set up the seating style in those U-shaped, single squares, conference table rounds, or clusters or V-shaped to get the most interactivity uh, beyond that traditional, I'm going to face forward and just look at the speaker setting. The other article I left in there and from her Training for Dummies book is preparing your training environment. So knowing the when, where, what, and who, and thinking about um, training arrangements in terms of um, where you want to put things to make it most accessible and convenient for your learners who are at your training sessions. So the next area talks about distance learning. And I actually think online learning and blended learning fit under this umbrella of distance learning. Um, defined in this guide is educational delivery in which the instructor and students are separated by time, location, or both. This can be synchronous or asynchronous. So characterize this interaction between the learner and trainer. Um, they might have interactions between each other, between learners and the learning resources and the learner and the instructor themselves. So using more than one learning technologies. I hope the next update does involve a better and broader definition because I put a link to what is distance education from uh, Michigan State's Office of Instructional Technology. Um, essentially, I want to break it down for what I know, and this applies to sometimes also blended and definitely online learning as well. The flexibilities of time, place, pedagogy, and pacing are critical, and there's lots new about distance learning probably before this guide was developed. So I think it's really an optimal way to think about how you're going to present and distribute any sort of learning, knowledge, materials, and skills. I put a link to some of these resources, specifically talking about six ways to think about interactive virtual classroom training environments. But I think about ways that we present now as new, uh, web conference systems so you can interact face-to-face -face and meet, so you can have meetups um, in large groups, small groups, breakout rooms. You can have distributed channels of sharing with cloud-based applications, uh, streaming media, both audio and video. And you can also have collaborative spaces where people can write like Google Docs or Slack or wikis and engage them in common tools to hang out. So Hugo and Corbett talks about using common virtual tools like shared documents, whiteboards, polling, chat features, interactive discussions, and different multimedia methods to engage. I think the benefits of technology-based training really offers people more that can be trained digitally. It's really efficient, so it's cost-effective. There's speed and precision. You're getting to your target audience and you're reducing frustration or repetition of learning the same thing again. The access of anytime, anywhere it doesn't require employees to leave their work, job, or functions, or they can take it just in time and take it in between um, appointments or on breaks. The self-direction for learners, adult learners can get control, choice, and options in how they get trained. And the synchronous versus asynchronous gives both real-time or live sessions and also a way to catch up on the materials or pace them in their own way that's accessible and always available. The online communities, uh, you get a shared sense of interest with others. So in episode 3.4, we talked about communities of practice, COPs, where a group of people who have a common interest in an area of competence they want to share experience and their practice. So this is also a form of informal networks and building communities in online training experiences. Now, this might be part of the organizational development or the OD plan, where the organization decides, hey, to be more effective achieving our business goals, we want to plan initiatives to develop the systems, structures, and processes in the organization to improve effectiveness. 
There's a long laundry list of different definitions I left for you to check out, and we've defined a few already. Um, but some of the technology-based terms that you should consider might be um, mobile learning, maybe there's um, multimedia, simulations, virtual classrooms, wikis. I think there's also a few that are kind of funny and maybe need some updating, like on Learn- Learning 2.0. What does that mean? Or what they even talk about browsers and chat rooms. Things that aren't on the list that I think will come up maybe in the next edition might be augmented reality. Um, maybe there's going to be some more around team-based, teamed remote learning. Um, so there's some other things that are missing that aren't there. And there's a few that are on that list that I just put into the episode notes you could check out. Two of the things they talked about, though, that talent development professionals should think about is the performance support systems. So sometimes it's not a training, but you're either going to use a job aid or electronic performance support system, an EPPS is the acronym, and you're really going to use them to help you on the job. So job aid is like a cheat sheet, or it's a kind of a place for information where employees will want to refer to when they're performing a specific task. So this could be a reference or checklist of things to remember for steps, procedures, or process for their role and their job. So typically it offers step-by-side guidance. So an example I often think of are uh, pilots use a pre-flight checklist before takeoff. So you really want to think about these if you have a task that's performed with low frequency. So maybe do it monthly, like a timesheet or a reporting, um, biannual reporting a high complex task. So steps to remember, like troubleshooting a system, a technical system, a task with high consequence of error. So steps needed to be followed in a specific sequence or guide to avoid the financial loss or loss of life. See that pre-flight checklist as an example. And then a task with a high probability of change in the future. So is there a change of policy, practice, equipment, or a technology system that's going to change? Well, how do you use it? And how are the reminders to go about doing that? The EPSS, the Electronic Performance Support System, similar to this, is a computer application that's linked directly to another application to train or guide employees through completing a task in the target application. So lots of words to say. It's a computer-based job aid that often helps people do their work. And this could be a reference to a database they use that facilitates rapid access to information and provide clarity. Maybe it's a calculator, a wizard, an app that they use to automate something or simplify a process. Uh, maybe there's a decision support model that guides how they go about solving a problem with a really intelligent assistant. Or there are embedded tutorials or simulations that provide instruction for your work-related procedures and ideas. So often EPSSs are used for training or as a job aid uh, just an electronic format, and simply are complementary systems and solutions. So usually you really want to think about the problem uh, before you develop this. It's really about a knowledge or skill deficiency, a task that's difficult to perform. Uh, maybe it's a task that's performed frequently. And similar to job aids, you don't want this for emergency situations. You want them for um things that uh, require just reminders and guides. And if there's serious implications, if the tasks are performed out of order, this may not be your solution for this. Uh, So think about what accommodates the work environment. If there's an EPSS system there, do you have the technology to support that? So both of these are inexpensive ways other than training. So this is only when it's needed for the support. And think again, job aids or EPSSs are not to retain skills or knowledge, but it's used on the job and needed as reference. 
A couple other areas that we talk about in this section are just around games and simulations, experiential learning, and self-directed approaches and on-the-job training. I think they're really great. So one of the games and simulations uh, I think of are ways to model and represent real-life situations. So you can think about this as a new skill, how to shift current thinking, maybe guide ideas for the future. You've been to this, you've had this before, where you let employees practice, experiment, and apply the learning in certain situations before they encounter them in work. So it's really critical for you to think about this simulation game as a training method and having time to debrief. So you've done this before. Let's say you're given like a case study or a scenario. You want to prepare your learners to uh, what they're going to do and includes time for debriefing discussions. So you'll set this game or simulation up with clear instructions, but without telling the solution. So maybe they have a problem to solve, a case scenario to figure out, or they're building what we've seen of those um, spaghetti and uh, popsicle sticks and marshmallow uh, build myself a tower with a team. So there's some sort of activity that they're going to do where the learners share observations um, with group discussion, they process with each other, and they're supposed to be interpreting what happens from their perspective and observations with the group. The game or simulation should be connected to what happens in the real world of work. And often you're going to want your uh, teams and groups to talk about how they learned, how they'll apply what they learned, and question what would they do differently as a result of this experience. Um, so examples of this and secret um, successful simulations, I put some links to that. Um, it's not about replicating, but it's choosing the right subject to do and it's the ways to practice. Um, so maybe it's developing a design plan, maybe it's um, reacting to something that happens in the workplace. I've given some examples of how people might uh, think about games and simulations from an author that's just shared the 10 secrets of successful simulations. Experiential learning is that of discovery. So it's kind of where the learner encounters a problem and in an activity responds to the problem, identifies the useful knowledge or skills gained and debriefs what was learned and plans for transferring what they learn. So I think of this as a brief introduction to the main object or activity in the lesson. So maybe you're introducing a new concept or problem. Um, you really want to debrief what this was and have a tangible lesson that makes meaningful experience for the employees to think about summarizing what they did from that exercise. Um, the other second learning problem is presented to give learners an opportunity to practice the skills and summarizes some of the key learning points. So they might um, have a phase where they just go explore, but then they apply it to an actual um, lesson or activity or exercise that employees will recognize this is relevant uh, knowledge or skill that I will bring back to my job. So that's usually called an experiential learning activity or ELA, if we're using acronyms here. Self-directed approaches is a term that looks at self-paced training programs, and this can be done in a variety of ways. Um, they might use media or things on print or web-based systems. It seems to refer to less formal types of learning, so it won't be um, so much talking about a team learning or, or a knowledge management system, but this is more around an option of when you would use it would be if the group of learners is large, dispersed, or both. The subject matter is mostly a cognitive one, so it's something they need to know. Uh, learners have many individual needs, and the resources of the classroom-based training aren't available. So um, training is typically timely, and it's required, and the time to do so is led by this design. So um, some of the foundational concepts are figure it out, and self-directness must be identified. So 
You can only use this if a key factor in the solution of creating a personal development plan is there, or they're going to take this in the organization and look at the um, knowledge management system or something applied to the policies and practices they normally do. Um, these self-directed um, ways of learning often include things like inner directedness. This is their own internal achievement and motivation, but they will often reflect and think about their own personal goals for setting their development plans and um, thinking about what they'll do next with this discovery. Self-directed learning is not for people who are not prepared. So if you know that your employees that you're going to train do not have the motivation to do that and can't follow um, some of the self-instruction media, so if they're using like a podcast series or a series of videos and Q&A and they won't take the initiative to use it, it may not be the best system. So it does require you to identify if your employees are ready for this type of training because it's not really for everyone. And you have to really anticipate um, and you're thinking about this training design, what are the questions, the content delivery mechanisms, and what will happen when this is put into practice and people are encouraged to do the work on themselves. Another area that's talked about in this is the on-the-job training or OJT. And this happens in normal work situations every day. So we use this like a document or maybe it's a information um, sheet that we go to the part of our policy and procedures manual, or maybe it's just something we refer to on a regular basis, like a phone list when we're going to call someone. So on the job training happens within and among employees and in the workspace where they are. So this is being responsive to learning questions. Maybe it asks for some sort of job modeling, uh, mentoring or coaching, but essentially it's looking at job aids like checklists, step-by guides, maybe a specific follow-up, um, question and answer and response throughout the training. So they might have a skill that's covered and then practice and then reflected upon in real time. So on the job training is really quick. You see this in stores. So in this uh, uh, different seasons when the holidays come up and there's extra shopping, you're going to have new employees there that are kind of uh, shadowed by another employee to help them figure out the register, help with customer service, give feedback. And so these are mini assessment points uh, where the learner, the employee meets with that probably senior employee or supervisor to give direct feedback on how they're doing. And we see this in a lot of service industries like stores, or we see this in restaurants where you have someone that's almost shadowing you and gives you real-time feedback and also a space for you to ask questions. It does let you know that the peers that are learning and co-learning together um, have to be honest, have to be upfront and have some sort of communication mechanism. Um, you need to be able to address and any concerns and call into question things that may or may not be correct. So you're going to address and correct uh, with constructive criticism, positive feedback, and also an open space to ask questions and learn. So peer coaching and tools really incorporate some of this on-the-job experience and on-the-job learning, plus preparing those that are co-leading, co-coaching, and training is really important. The last area is the support of personal learning networks. We touched on this in 3.4, but just to remind you that you can build in and maintain any sort of PLN, a personal learning network, to find relevant information and on-the-job um, training support resources, knowledge that you might apply back into it. So if you didn't get to listen to episode 3.4 just before, um, go take a look and learn more about the PLNs that can help you with your training. This is just a quick snapshot of some of the learning, and I know that this um, overspills into things we talk about in the learning management programs, as well as instructional design. And the next episode, you should listen to uh, 3.6 Learning Technologies. Thanks for listening to the Learn Perform Mixtape. If you're liking this podcast, subscribe, tell a friend, 
give me a like and give me a review. If you're studying for the CPLP or you have already, let me know. I'd love to chat and I'd love to get your advice. Comments, questions, thoughts, and love are always welcome. And I have my details in every episode notes. So please reach out. Let's connect.